Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. This month of May, we are surveying the Old Testament for principles of revival and preaching power. The series is forwarded by the question, how might we best honor God and the truth of the gospel in a time when Christ is commonly moralized, minimized, and trivialized among local churches of all stripes? Last week, we answered from Nehemiah chapter 8, saying that we, like the Jewish people of Nehemiah's day, must refine our commitment to the scriptures and experience a renewed sense of sin thereby and confirm our spiritual strength in the joy of the Lord. Today, we answer that question from Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. God's prophet said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he, God, will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me, and said, Write the vision, and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Father, there is always a sense of dependency upon thee as we approach the word of God for understanding, for clarity, for direction in the scriptures, especially concerning application to ourselves. And certainly this morning we have a unique sense of need of dependency upon thee and ask for liberty in this scripture by the Spirit of God to make those applications to our lives that are most necessary. We thank you for the Spirit's work among us through the word. We pray that that work would be known today in the heart and life of every person. We ask in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Habakkuk is in reputation, Old Testament, as Thomas is in reputation, New Testament. Both men are known for their righteous skepticism and struggle in faith. Thomas attached his faith to being himself an eyewitness to the bodily resurrection of Christ. The Lord graciously obliged him, and his confession of the Lord's deity can be called first and foremost. Habakkuk, the prophet of God, struggled to reconcile the news of the day with his own faith in God. 
believing in the absolute sovereignty and providence of the almighty Habakkuk, was bewildered by the deluge of wickedness and evil all around him. Habakkuk's question is one of the most common theological questions asked among thoughtful men. The question is why? If God is indeed all-powerful and in absolute control, then why? Why doesn't God just strike Putin with lightning? Why, after 50 years of infanticide in America, doesn't God just rain fire on protesters promoting death in the name of women's health? Why do the righteous suffer? Habakkuk's question runs right along this very common line. But it is in the prophet's response that we find blessed value and personal instruction for our souls and are able to further answer our own questions about life on earth here and now, about living with a sense of revival and preaching power. While the text is read, hardly jumps off the page in the mind when you read it at first, this passage of scripture has marvelously impacted saints over many generations in time. In Pilgrim's Progress, that classic work by John Bunyan, there is a character named Hopeful who orders his mind and expectations according to the resolve of Habakkuk as reflected here in our text is read. Warren Worsby's series of classic sermons includes the beloved message preached by Frank Borham, in which Habakkuk is commended as one possessing that, quote, hardest of all intellectual virtues in maintaining his faith in God in the midst of unrelenting wickedness and trouble. Borham goes on to say anyone seeing difficulties in belief can rush to unbelief. Anybody finding faith in seeming conflict with the facts of life can abandon faith. Habakkuk declines to do anything of the kind, for he knows a more excellent way. Habakkuk really addresses life when faith in God has hit the wall of earthly life and his means to his glorious attitudinal end is uh, really something to work through and to think through together with an open scripture in hand. Habakkuk resolves his mind and soul in God by faith without any sense of discontent or murmur that is commonly found among thoughtful men. He certainly complains. He certainly is marked by despair and yet does not forward the kind of spiritual discontent and murmur that is often found among thoughtful people. His resolve, as evident before us, is prerequisite to the kind of strong faith that excels in living grace and righteous hope. Habakkuk has a sense of righteous expectation, not unrighteous expectation. 
he has a real sense of living grace as he resolves his heart before the Lord. If you look at the end of the book, you have a good reflection of that stellar attitude that is found in Habakkuk 3, chapter 3, verse 17. He says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon my high places. And then you have this final phrase, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. That last notation of the prophetic book of Habakkuk is a musical instruction for the people of God at worship. Habakkuk's attitude at the end of the book is so rightly on target that God himself instructed it to be a part of regular worship. Part of righteous worshiping God is to get your head straight, to get your thinking straight, to align your thoughts with the high and holy elements from above. Habakkuk 2, 1 to 4, is how you get there. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, is there. Attitudinally, there. Habakkuk 2, 1 to 4, is how you get there. We begin this morning by considering Habakkuk's experience with evil. Look back just a brief moment at chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The dear prophet says, Why? Why doth thou, God, show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are, I would add the word those for the sake of reading clarity, there are those that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slapped, and judgment doth never go forth. You'll hear more about that during the educational hour tonight as Russell returns to this book in the pursuit of the topic of holiness. Therefore the law is slacked or benumbed, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. As Habakkuk looked around, he saw it being bad, and bad, and bad, and bad. He ministered during the time when the Babylonians rose to power. 
and in part they rose to power to punish God's people, sinful Israel. The prophet revealed to the Jewish nation the very kind of captive deportations that we associate with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or better known as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Things were not good in Habakkuk's day, and the horizon looked to be ominous. They were not good, and they were seriously getting worse. Habakkuk wondered out loud how God could allow such increasing of evil. And uh, the uh, Jewish people were not, even in the beginning of judgments, uh, turning to the Lord. The dear prophet of God could understand if God allowed certain things to be in order that the people of God would, would revive and surge and grow and, and get serious. But as Habakkuk looked at the circumstance and the circumstances of his day, he had to admit that the people of God were not in whole, turning back to the Lord even after the judgments began. God's way seemed to be ineffective, even among the people of God. The wickedness of the people continued. How could holy God use the Babylonians to do his bidding? Would not a God of goodness and power just quickly swoop in against the evil parading in the world? As one old-timer says it, right was on the scaffold and wrong was on the throne. Habakkuk's days were evil. And as he surveyed the lay of the land and looked ahead, he didn't see days getting better. He saw days getting worse. The days were evil. Why is it intriguing to us? Well, because these are evil days. And as we survey the lay of the land and the, in the world and in the nation, uh, we have no prospect of lessening of evil until the Lord himself would come. Uh, evil, it was there. Evil, it is here and in the world. The second thing that we note concerning Habakkuk has to do with his effort and energy as directed uh, in light of the evil day. After stating his questions to the Lord, he resolved to stand upon his watch and to set upon his tower. If you look again in chapter 2 and verse 1, and the very first phrase is there, I will stand upon my watch. Here's what I'm going to do, says Habakkuk. Here's what I'm going to do concerning the issues at hand, the evil at hand. I will stand upon my watch. I will set me upon the tower. What exactly does that mean? What does it mean that Habakkuk refused in the hour of perplexity to throw the baby out with the bathwater. He knew himself to be a man with God-given responsibilities. He was not about to give in or to give up on the great things of God's promise just because he had serious questions about the present evil in his day. In New Testament terms, Habakkuk resolves to watch and pray. 
He pledges to be vigilant and to look to God all the more. He would not just let his faith in God flee him. He would rather fortify his faith and look to God with even a greater sense of effort and energy as he confronts the reality of the evil that is all around him. You hear the sense of resolve in his voice. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. There's effort there. There's energy there. There's response there. And that response is going to ultimately lead us towards uh, that beautiful and stellar attitude that we find in the third chapter, beginning at verse 17, where that even though the circumstances of life were definitely negative and evil, yet Habakkuk finds a sense of solace in the Lord, joy in the Lord, portion in the Lord, effort and energy. That is followed by his eagerness and endurance. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what God will say unto me. Habakkuk specifically watches to see what God will say to him. He waits upon the Lord for clarity. He waits upon the Lord for direction. This reminds me of King David, who said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David, who admonished, saying, wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. It is never a waste of time to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is not resignation to inactivity, but active pursuit in all things known while looking to the Lord for that which is unknown. So Habakkuk, in the midst of evil, not only exercises himself with a sense of, of effort and energy, but he emphasizes himself, exercises himself rather, with a sense of eagerness and endurance in order to wait for further clarity and further direction from the Lord. He is uniquely dependent upon the Lord in this moment in time. And that brings us to the fourth thing. He says, Expectation and engagement is the fourth thing. Habakkuk is further resolved to answer or to share the answer that he gets from God with other people whenever the vision from the Lord, in fact, comes to him. You see that in the third part of that first verse. Again, effort and energy. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. Eagerness and endurance. And I will watch to see. I'm looking for something. What's he looking for? He's looking for a word from God. He's looking for clarity from God. He's looking for direction from the Lord. He's looking to see what God will say unto him. And then, expectation engagement. 
and what I shall answer when I am reproved or corrected or made to think right. Habakkuk is looking for God to give him an attitude adjustment. You go to a chiropractor to adjust your spine or back when there's pain running up and down your legs. But many of God's people need an attitude adjustment. And one of the things that is necessary to worship God is an attitude adjustment because it is sometimes easy to be blamely towards God and to, and to have a sense of negativity even towards God in light of the context of things that are happening in the, in the ebb and flow of life. So Habakkuk looks to the Lord, and he looks to see from the Lord clarity and direction. And then he has this idea that when God answers him, that he will not only engage that answer for his own life, for his own benefit, but he will engage it in such a way that others will be benefited by it. He has resolved to answer or share the answer with God's people whenever the vision from the Lord does come. He expects the Lord will answer him in time. He expects that the Lord's revelation will be necessary in the life of all his people, not just for himself, but for all those that love the Lord and seek to and seek to honor him in an hour such as this. Whenever Habakkuk is corrected and instructed concerning what was next, he would be happy to share that with God's people. We see God's things in Scripture in order to savor them, in order to share them then with others, that they too might be benefited by the aspect of the things that are seen. Habakkuk Resolved to watch for the Lord, to wait for the Lord, to work for the benefit of the Lord's people. What a blessed resolve in an evil day. Now, I want you to think about those three words that I just dropped on you quick, because I really do believe that that is the, the nugget of Habakkuk as it relates to our question about revival and preaching power in a day in which... The things of Christ are moralized. The things of Christ are minimized. The things of Christ are often trivialized. The things of God are often treated as a nothing or as a small thing. And at times even treated with contempt. Habakkuk says that in an evil day, it is important that you resolve to watch. Watch for the Lord. Look for the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Give your mind to the Lord. Habakkuk resolved to watch. Habakkuk resolved to wait, watch, wait on the Lord. He wasn't just waiting for no good reason. He wasn't just waiting to wait. But he was waiting on the Lord for clarity. He was waiting on the Lord for further direction concerning his life course, concerning his life ministry, concerning what was next. 
to watch for the Lord, to wait for the Lord, as to the word from the Lord. And then in regards to his resolve to work for not only himself, but for God's people, you have that idea of working. He resolved to work with that which God brought to him, to use it as a blessing for others in the midst of a evil day. And so we add to the three things that we pulled out of Nehemiah chapter 8, commitment to the scriptures, and thereby a greater knowledge of sin, and a confirmation that the joy of the Lord is our strength, we add to that Habakkuk's threefold insight into a stellar attitude, even when circumstances are dire, to say the least. And that resolve involves watching. That resolve involves waiting. That resolve involves working. Watching as the Lord has bid us to watch and pray. Waiting as we depend upon the word of God to be delivered to our souls for benefit and for joy. And then working. And what is the work of it? Well, the work of it is that when God gives you something, he doesn't want you to hide it under a bushel. No. He wants you to let it shine. Know you anything of God? Do you know of any truth from God? Has God taught you anything? Well, then you would have something to share. Habakkuk's resolve is that the things that he learns from the Lord by further revelation, that indeed he would use those things for the benefit of others. And so we add to Nehemiah 8, Habakkuk 2, as it relates to revival in the midst of a day such as we are living now, and revival in preaching power, concerning the work of the Lord when things are not always happening the way exactly that we would have them to work. Well, Habakkuk was, of course, answered by the Lord. Verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. And, of course, the one that runs that reads it is the person that is taking the message of it when it comes to others. It's a beautiful expression of the word of God written down for the benefit of other people to get it and to go with it. To take the word of God to heart yourself and then to go with that to the benefit and the help of others. He is instructed to write it down and to publish that word for the benefit of the remnant. But the things, according to verse 3, the things that were appointed were appointed for a day that was yet long ahead. For the vision is yet 
for an appointed time. The revelation that would come to Habakkuk, specific revelation concerning the future for the nation of Israel and for the remnant of God's faithful, that that vision was yet for an appointed time. In other words, it wasn't time yet for all the things that God had planned to do to be done. The things appointed were for a day ahead. And the spiritual necessity of the moment was to wait for the fulfillment of prophecy in the will of God. Have you ever thought when you get up on a particular day and it's a a particularly stressful day or impactful day in a negative sense, have you ever had the thought, well, I just wish the Lord would come? Why, if the Lord would come right now, that it would certainly relieve all my troubles. I would certainly be good if the Lord were to come right now. I'm sure that you too, at some point in time, have had that thought. You may have even had it this morning. Actually, I had it this morning, earlier on today. Be a good day for the Lord to come. Be a good day not to have the responsibilities that are born uh, in this particular day. Would be a, uh, would be good to just have uh, uh, the end of it all and the promises of God fulfilled. And uh, I'll show you here in the verse in just a moment that God makes it ever clear that, that you and I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely uh, have every right to live with the idea as believers in Christ that the best of life, the very best of life is yet to come. But, not necessarily today, not necessarily right now, not all the things God has promised us are going to happen right this minute. And in fact, Habakkuk was told that the vision that he received from the Lord, that further revelation from God, was for an appointed time. But then he's told, but at the end or at the time of completion, at the time of fulfillment, it shall speak and not lie. The word of God cannot return void. The great promises of God cannot fall to the ground. The things that the Bible projects concerning your life and my life in Christ uh, cannot just be uh, wiped away as if they never existed or were never promised. Because after all, it is God who promised those things. It is God who had them written down in his word. It is God who sustains the soul. It is God who orders the mind. It is God who directs the life. It is God to whom we owe all things. It is God to be praised. It is God to be worshipped. It is God in life today and not just about your neighbor or yourself. It's all about God and his glory. That is the spirit of worship. And to maintain that spiritual worship, you've got to get the right attitude. And as long as you're sucking your shoelaces, as long as you're down in the dumps, as long as you are with Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore saying, this is a no good, very bad day, You'll have a hard time singing the praises of Zion. You'll have a hard time marshalling the soul to the honor of God. You'll find your soul dried up like a potsherd, as the Bible describes dryness. 
is a thing that has just gone dry on the vine. But the word of God will speak and not lie. The word of God will not return void. The word of revelatory promise will be fulfilled precisely, even though much time will pass before the fulfillment of the thing that is said. Evil may well appear to be winning, but God is still on the throne. Look then at verse 4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, the present tense of that verb, lifted up in this moment of time. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up in this moment of time, is not upright. In what is that talking about? It's talking about Babylon. God was, in that moment of time, using a world power, an evilly bent world power, to prepare the world for God's own further purposes. The evil power in that moment was Babylon. And Habakkuk is able to say, as from the Lord, the soul of the one who is perpetrating evil is not upright within him. It's not upright. It's not right. It's not right. It's not right. He's not right. They're not right. They're not right. Does God know it? Yep. Could God stop it? Of course. Could he have stopped it yesterday? Of course. Could he stop it by noon today? Of course. Of course. Of course. And so the question remains in the soul of the haunted believer with little faith in need of greater faith. And what's the question? Why, Lord? Why do you let such things, Lord? Why, Lord, do the heathen rage? Why do the kings of the world imagine vain things? Why why, Lord? Why? God knows the heart and mind of evil men as well as he knows the heart and mind of righteous men. And when righteous men like Habakkuk become overwhelmed with unrighteous men like the Babylonians in the hour in which God uses them for his purposes, Habakkuk needs that further word from God, that word that's going to stabilize the soul, that word that's going to fortify the mind, that word that's going to bring some energy to the life and allow there to be a sense of joy and peace 
in the midst of an evil day and allow Habakkuk, as it were, to redeem the time. For the days were evil. And how does that happen? How does that come to be? What is the logical embrace of it all? Well, in the same verse that you have the indication of God's knowledge of the evil intent of the heart of the Babylonians, behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. You then have the most famous single line from the entire book of Habakkuk. The Babylonian soul is lifted up and is not upright in him, but the just, the righteous soul, the heart that is bent towards God, right towards God, the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live on earth by his faith. Paul quotes Habakkuk 2, 4b to teach the fact, the doctrinal fact, that righteousness comes from God by faith. Romans chapter 1. And Paul again uses Habakkuk 2, 4 B, to teach that a person is justified before God by faith. Galatians chapter 3. But it is the use of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 B in Hebrews 10 that yields the exact same logic in the New Testament as found in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And so I want you to see that this morning. Turning your scriptures to the New Testament book of Hebrews and we'll look at chapter 10 and I'll begin reading in verse 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Just pause there a moment. As a believer in Christ, make the effort, be eager to maintain your sense of confidence in the Lord, confidence in Christ. Because your confidence in Christ pays greatly. It pays a great reward. When you're confident in the Lord, it really pays greatly. Verse 36. For ye have need of patience. I like the word endurance. For ye have need of endurance that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. There is 
from God for me, for you in Christ. Great and precious promises of a life to head that I can hardly wait to get there. <laughs> With great anticipation, I'm looking forward to the end of it all. And we uh, certainly are right to cast our minds from time to time to the promised end of it all. But when you realize that God's program plays out progressively over days, months, and years until the moment of fulfillment appointed, then you realize that what verse 36 says is very, very true, and that is we need to be in, uh, patient. We need to be enduring, for we have need of endurance. That after we have done the will of God, after we've lived the, the life that God has given us on earth to its fullness, that we might then receive the promise as we know about it concerning our glorious future. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not delay. What a great thing to think. Listen, we've been saying it now. For a long time, not for months, not for years, not for 100 years, or 500 years, or 1,000 years. We haven't been saying it for 1,500 years. We've been saying it now for over 2,000 years. That is a long time. Even the senior citizens here in this service can't can appropriate that number in real experience of life. That's a long, long time. Long, long time we've been saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Well, this verse says, he that shall come will come. He will come. He will come and not tarry. That verse reminds us that one of these days, one of these days soon, you and I are going to say, he's here. He's here. And we'll be forever with him if we've responded to him in love and faith. Then you have verse 38. Now, the just shall live by faith. Verse 38 is not talking about salvation as Paul was in Romans 1, nor is it talking about salvation as Paul was in Galatians 3. Hebrews 10.38 is talking about salvation in that third stage, that final stage of complete. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Or we are those that are saved and being saved and know that in the hour appointed we shall be saved. 
And on that basis, we understand how important it is that here and now we would live by faith. By faith, we're saved. By faith, we're being saved. By faith, we shall be saved. How might we best honor God and the truth of the gospel in a time when Christ is commonly moralized, minimized, and trivialized among local churches of all stripes? Well, according to Habakkuk, we must resolve to watch for the Lord and wait on the Lord and work to the benefit of God's people around us so that we can appropriate the circumstances that are at hand with a clear sense of confident and bold faith in God no matter what. Be this the day I live, be this the day I die. I am going to be for God today, today, today. Tomorrow is done. Tomorrow is not yet come. Yesterday is gone. Today, 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 God, today. Let that be the resolve of my mind, your mind, as our hope is in the Lord. Father, help us. Deliver us from the fluff of modern Christendom and the pursuit of quick and convenient answers that leave the soul in bankruptcy. Help us to resolve our lives upon thy blessed word and to get and set righteous righteous expectations accordingly. Help us to redeem the time. For these days are evil. And we speak of our own. Bless then this flock with faith that is increasing in strength, height, breadth, depth, dimension for your glory for our good we pray in Jesus name amen 540 this morning